This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. New Hampshire lawmakers met this week to vote on a number of bills, some controversial. Here to talk about the latest news coming out of the State House is NHPR's health and equity reporter, Ali Pham, and Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. It's a nonprofit that promotes civic engagement. Thank you both for joining the show today. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Well, let's get started with some of the education bills um, from this week. New Hampshire lawmakers killed several high-profile bills. Several of them revolved around allegations by some lawmakers and and parents that public school teachers are indoctrinating students. Anna, can you tell us more about these these failed proposals? I know one bill in particular was a teacher loyalty bill, so-called, that received national attention. Yes, that was HB 1255, and it prohibited teachers from advocating various doctrines or theories, including socialism. It also specifically prohibited teaching that the United States was founded on racism or any theory or promoting a negative account of the founding of the United States without proper worldwide contacts or context, as the bill said. So this this bill, it's interesting because it built built on a bill that passed during the era of McCarthyism. But ultimately, the bill was killed. You know, a lot of people saw this as another movement forward in terms of combating fears around critical race theory being taught in schools. But the bill was killed, didn't move forward and also killed a couple other bills that would have given parents two weeks notice of all course material, allowing them to object. The House said that that, that's too much advance notice. You know, what if at the last minute you have maybe a a congressperson who can come in and give a speech? So two weeks is too much. So the House did not go as far as many people thought they might. They did pass a bill that will require school districts to provide curriculum and course material to any legal resident of a school district upon request. But that was kind of the only edge forward on curriculum so much. Mm. Efforts by Democratic lawmakers, Anna, to roll back New Hampshire's new school voucher-like program also failed to gain enough support this week. What kind of debate did, did we hear on the House floor around these education freedom accounts? So education freedom accounts, once again, for listeners, it's somewhat similar to a voucher program, a little different. Basically, a student can take their share of per pupil state funding and go to a private school or get materials for homeschooling, maybe other special education services. So the fundamental debate is that Republicans are looking at this and saying this allows parents to find the best solutions for their children for education. And Democrats are arguing that this is taking away per pupil state funding for our public schools who are already in crisis and putting in programs that aren't really necessarily having the same rigorous oversight as a public school. And so Republicans, the argument was basically you got to look out for the student and this is a new program. Let's see where it goes. And Democrats were saying this this program shouldn't have passed as it was in the first place. Let's add some checks and balances. Let's add over, more oversight. And the Democratic argument didn't really get anywhere. Pretty much at this point, if we're looking at the bills, the Education Freedom Account program is going to stay as is. Yeah, and it's 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 proven to be more popular uh, than, than at first thought as well, right? Absolutely. The original estimates on how many students would participate, it was a vast underestimate, which maybe reflects, you know, parents being really frustrated with the options during COVID and wanting to come up with something different. So if I remember correctly, well, it, I don't I won't pull out the exact number because I don't have it, but millions and millions overestimates yeah. in terms of how many school dollars are being accessed by parents. And that certainly brings up, uh, you know, funding issues in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Allie, I want to turn to you. I know the House also voted on a number of reproductive health care bills uh, over the week. What happened there, Allie? 
Yeah, so a lot of these votes happened late on Wednesday night. And again, just to be very clear, it's it's uncertain whether these bills will become law, but they've really, the way the votes went has left reproductive health care advocates in the state kind of anxious about the future of both abortion and actually contraception here in New Hampshire. And um, so one bill that I was following would have added exceptions to the state's new abortion law, which went into effect earlier this year and bans abortions after 24 weeks, imposes criminal penalties for doctors who break that law, and requires an ultrasound for all abortions, even in cases where it might not be medically necessary. And what we saw this week was that... Um, so adding an exception for a fatal fetal anomaly or removing criminal penalties, that did not move through the House. And that's left abortion rights folks uneasy, because not because the 24-week ban that we currently have dramatically changes the landscape of abortion in New Hampshire, but because they see the kind of lack of political will to repeal or change that law as suggestive of the appetite of New Hampshire lawmakers to pass more restrictive laws down the road that could really have more significant impact. And we also saw a rights of conscience bill move forward that would basically allow anyone who works in kind of a medical setting from a doctor to someone like a drugstore cashier to deny providing not only abortion care, but contraception. So something like a birth control pill or, or condoms, if they feel that doing so violates their conscience. And lastly, we also saw lawmakers vote to repeal a, a kind of safety or buffer zone um, law that currently gives health centers the right to keep protesters up to 25 feet away from their facilities. Mm -hmm. I know earlier this month, Ali, you talked with a woman who's handling a high-risk pregnancy. I know the the state's 24-week abortion ban has been something that she's had to consider in making some really tough decisions about how to move forward with her pregnancy. Can you tell us more about her story? Yeah, so I spent a lot of time with a woman named Lisa Aikie. She's a Brookline mom. And I was talking with her just as she was approaching 24 weeks. And Rick, as you mentioned, she just had a very complicated high-risk pregnancy where one of her, so she's pregnant with twins, and one of the twins not only has a fatal fetal anomaly, so won't survive outside the womb, but that twin also presents a threat to the life of the, the healthy twin. And so this was also something that Lisa Aiki didn't even find out until she was 21 weeks pregnant. And so she's had to just try and navigate an incredibly complex landscape of very specialty medical care, you know, all in the wake of that abortion law we've been talking about and kind of figure out what the best path forward for her is and get a sense of what her options were here in New Hampshire. So, you know, she was kind of considering, do I get this complicated abortion procedure to protect the healthy fetus or do I try to hold on for a a difficult, risky, premature delivery? So really two two difficult options there. Mm -hmm. Talking about the real real world implications of of what's what's being debated. This morning edition on NHPR, we're recapping this week's news with Anna Brown from Citizens Count and NHPR's Ali Pham. And if you've got some questions, you can inform our reporting with your email, voices at nhpr.org. Let's get into some more bills from the week. Anna, there's been the movement in the legislature to make significant changes to the state's current bail reform law, bail reform passed with bipartisan support and the support of the governor back in 2018. But conversations around bail reform have really shifted in the past couple of years. What's happening there? So a little bit of history on bail reform. The real criticism was that New Hampshire was jailing people simply because they couldn't afford bail. So for example, if you were super low income, if you were without a home, then you might end up in jail just because you couldn't put up $100. And there was a famous case, very tragic, Jeffrey Pendleton, 
died in a jail cell in Manchester because he couldn't afford the $100 bail for a marijuana possession charge. So that's why he was in the Manchester jail. So the idea of this bail reform was that we won't take into account if someone can't afford bail. We're, you know, we're only going to keep someone if it's a violent offense, you know, and the problem is law enforcement almost immediately after this law came out was saying, we're concerned that this is going to let people out on the street to recommit crimes. And they have presented since then several anecdotes about people who were released and then went on to commit whether it was a misdemeanor or a felony or whatever else. And the criticism of that is that these are anecdotes and not necessarily widespread data. I think a lot of times in criminal justice debates, there can be a lack of data. And that's a whole other conversation we, we, we can get into another time. But the House bill this week, HB 1476, would mandate that they do not give bail, that someone is held in jail if they are charged with a felony, an additional class A misdemeanor, or two other class B misdemeanors while they are out on bail. So critics are saying that this is still too harsh because a class B misdemeanor, it's, it's usually fine. It might not even face jail time. So once again, this is going to fall on people who are without a home, people who are very low income, you know, is it going to be that they're breaking into cars because they want a place to sleep and now they're they're jailed? Are we criminalizing basically low income people? Whereas on the other hand, we are seeing a bipartisan majority and the governor who are saying this is going to pre prevent people who maybe were brought in for assaulting a spouse or a girlfriend released and then they go back and they assault them again or someone committing the same crime again that they did yesterday. So those are the two sides of the debate. But there are two bills moving forward. HB 1476 was this week. You also have SB 294 in the Senate, which is a little more expansive, but the same concept, trying to roll this back so that if you are arrested again while you are out before trial, you're going to end up in jail. Okay, we'll be watching for that. I want to turn to to you, Ali, once again. There have been many COVID-related bills this session as well. What are you, you have any updates from this week on that? There sure have been a lot of COVID-related bills, looking at everything from masking to vaccines, and not even just COVID vaccines to to themes of of government overreach. And this this week, there was a a bill that moved forward that would bar the state from enforcing the federal vaccine mandate, which right now, to be clear, um, applies to to healthcare workers. And this is was actually not the first bill of that strain to pass the House in, in the last few weeks. And it just creates such a, a messy tension where federal regulation should supersede contradictory state laws, but it's just kind of unclear, like if these types of bills become law, how that would actually kind of play out. Um, and the House also voted to outlaw mass mandates in public schools and to give the legislature final say over any decision by the state's health commissioner to add a vaccine to the list of, of required vaccinations for, for kids. And it seems that the state is really slowing down COVID response in general. State-run free COVID testing sites closing this week. Uh, officials are closing vaccination sites at the end of the month. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some debate about if that's premature or not, but what's led to those closures? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a few factors at play here. One is we are in a lull um, with the virus right now, our, and um, our levels of immunity between vaccination and immunity from infection are are pretty are likely pretty high right now. So I think it's it's you know, we, we might not need to fight the virus so hard in this moment. Um, and then I think there's also the question of demand for these these services right now. You know, I was at a, one of the testing sites in Manchester before it closed this week and staff told me some days they don't even have a dozen people come in um, for a test. Um, so, it, you know, if the demand's not there, you know, maybe we can 
closed down sure. some locations. And, um, and hospitalizations have declined significantly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think another factor here is that this is really a part of the state's long-term plan, which is that they've never wanted to be kind of like the COVID guys. So running all the testing and vaccination. And they've always kind of had this goal of transitioning that responsibility into the traditional healthcare sphere. And I think the steps that they're taking this month um, you know, are, are not surprising given that's been a goal of theirs for for well over a year. Okay, we've just got a few seconds left here. I want to ask both of you, Anna, what are you watching? What are you interested in keeping an eye on in the next uh, legislative session here? Well, redistricting has turned into a really hot issue because the Senate passed the congressional redistricting plan that some people argue is gerrymandered. And Governor Sununu, I guess, came out on that side because he said he will veto it. Yeah, it's going to so get interesting. It's going to get spicy. Yeah. Allie, how about you? Yeah, I mean, outside of the the legislative session, something I'm working on right now is um, a training for for mental health uh, workers in the state. Um, that is kind of a, a really interesting five part DEI training. All right, we'll be watching for for that and your reporting of that. And and I want to thank you so much for joining us on the news recap. NHPR's Ali Pham and Anna Brown from the Citizens Count. Thanks again for both of you. Happy Friday. Yeah, Happy Friday, indeed. You can find all the stories we talked about this morning and more at NHPR.org. And if you missed any part of today's segment, or if you just want to catch up on previous weeks, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be here next Friday with more top headlines. I'm Rick Ganley, and you're listening to Morning Edition from NHPR. <laughs>